0: one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. My name is Adam Oberhausen. I'm the vice president of customer solutions with RightBrain Networks, and I'm your host for today. Joining me today, as as always, is my co-host and uh, software and data consultant, Tom Kowalski. Say hi, Tom. Hello. Howdy. And uh, our guest co-host today is is a software development expert and our resident AI subject matter expert, Sir Lancelot Carlson. Hello, world. Uh, In this episode, we're going to be discussing something known as observation-driven design. Um, It seems like it's a a newer design paradigm and uh, something that Tom's really passionate about. So, yeah, we're going to be basically peppering Tom with a bunch of questions and helping us understand what observation Driven design is full disclosure. I had I had no idea that this was a thing until a couple days ago when I started researching for the show. So yeah, Um, um, uh, well, it's about the uh, history of this and where you want to begin.
1: So the history is that you're probably not going to find you're not going to find anything online that's really public. It's just the name that I put together for everything that I've learned throughout the years as a software architect taking the the good from each of the other design patterns and kind of putting it together. And from the frameworks that we've built, we, we've worked together, we've you know, built a few frameworks to help us uh, develop software faster, more efficiently, make it easier to maintain, uh, just the lessons learned along the way. Uh, one of them we called observation uh, framework. So that's kind of where it got the uh, the name from because it kind of centers around the idea of treating data as an observation, and yeah, we'll we'll get into it a little bit further. Let me define the the problem space. So we've yeah, you know, as a developer, and you're developing a new product, right, or a new solution for uh, something that you have, and you know you start off, and you know requirements always change. So you know you pick some framework where the requirements work uh, in the beginning. But then, you know, now you have to be GDR, GDPR compliant, right? You have to make a bunch of refactoring of how data, you know, needs to be removed, but you still need to maintain records of of things that happen, but removing PII, uh, let's say you get a new client integration, requires a new API, and, you know, maybe the framework that you chose from the beginning just didn't, you know, was REST and support the new API the, the new client needs a GraphQL um, API. And if you have that, you know, tightly coupled with the framework and it's tightly coupled to REST, you know, it would require a, a huge refactoring. Um, you want to l- leverage machine learning AI, but the data that you have, you know, all this time you weren't collecting it properly to use for uh, AI. So the, the motivations behind this is allowing you to rapidly prototype and then at the end of it, having a production ready system so that's kind of like the framework that we've we worked on, and the observation driven design kind of comes from the or is kind of the best practices right the the concepts of that now, any questions so far
0: just to clarify, so when I looked. For the, when i did some research for the show i was probably looking at observability driven design mm. which is a different is that yeah. have you heard of that
1: yes, approach? yeah
0: that yeah, that is different. more focused on like the telemetry and like the um basically using the telemetry from production as a key part of your feedback loop when developing systems
1: yes oh. and it's so that that's a, another part of it too right uh, let's say you change your observability system. You may have to go through and, and refactor all your code uh, to, you know, put a line in here or a line in there to now start tracking different metrics.
2: I actually asked uh, my social network uh, on Threads about this, and they said it sounded a lot like um, design for maintainability (DFM) as far as uh, as far as how I was understanding it. Just like Adam. Was understanding it more about the observability side, but I am more curious now about the development side of this, which I'm not privy to. Yeah, the best practice.
1: Yeah, so I wanted to build up that the problem space. You know, get you excited. You know, what what is the the solution? And the solution to this is standardizing the data and the flow of that data through through the system. Um, So there's a lot of other solutions out there, like low code uh, services, right? You, you, they handle a lot of this for you, you know, you can rapidly prototype and, you know, you get a production ready system, but as you need to make changes, maybe, you know, it's not supported, there's lock-in, other frameworks, the same thing we talked about. So yeah, the solution is standardizing that flow of data and the format of it. Uh, and keeping things loosely coupled right and highly highly aligned is kind of like the the basis, the 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 bedrock of it. Um so that brings us to the data. how Are you guys familiar with cloud events? the The format of that? So basically, what they try to do is they took you know a, a lot of cloud providers had serverless offerings, and they all have different events. And the it, what they try to do is kind of standardize that and put a wrap around it and it was it was great. The issue with it and the issue with events in general, so the observation driven design it kind of follows very closely to event driven design or event driven architecture, except it's a little more prescriptive of what an event is. And the very basis of it is, or not really what an event is, but what data is. And the very basis of that is all data is a record of an observation that one entity made of another entity or itself at a given point in time. And once you break once you have that framework that that mental model uh you can standardize like a wrapper envelope around all the data in your system um that makes it a lot easier any any questions on that
2: what can you can you catalog what um the different types of uh entities are that establishes this relationship is it a service is it you know what i mean Anything
1: like all all data, right? So the problem with events is that you know what is an event? It's it's different for each observer and what they see, and you know an an event can come through and let's say there's a timestamp on it, and this is the like, kind of issue with cloud events. What does that timestamp mean? Right? Is that when it happened, is that when it was observed by one system or another? Uh, is that just when it was recorded, right? When that system saw it? Um, and when you when you look at all data as just an observation, a record of observation, that timestamp represents when that entity that recorded it observed it and recorded it, made that observation of another system or entity. Um, And you can use that model for all data. And this allows you to format it. So you can have a timestamp, different properties, right? Timestamp, trace ID, uh, standardizing how you do the entity IDs or naming of them, uh, the Mm -hmm. schema version for that entity. As it changes, you can, uh, you know, automatically apply uh, as you have data migrations, right? As as new things are are added, changed, being able to maintain that schema version of the entity uh, allows you to do things automatically, right? Whereas if you didn't have that standardization, the different tools, uh, libraries, packages that you're making aren't interchangeable. So if you can you know s- standardize that um you you can you know leverage the same
2: tools frameworks packages um across all of that is it sort of a framework for just microservices no and, and so event driven systems like uh so, Kafka well the
1: the idea is that it is you know event driven right but it's uh So not talking about the framework kind of I'm pulling back, right. And just kind of the concepts of it and that, I don't want to get too much into a specification or, uh, you know, what we kind of did for some of the frameworks that, um, we developed. Um, but yeah, you you can think of these, the design patterns to kind of work for any information system, right? It's not like a a panacea. It's going to work for all programming development. Um, but it is yeah very closely related to event driven architecture uh but just very, a little bit more prescriptive right this is the format of those events um and this is the you know flow standardizing that flow of them through the system
2: are there t- times when you want to be able to uh revert is it is it kind of like yeah it's not part of the framework or is it is it sometimes you can create a, an event trace where you can then start reversing that transaction, or is it is it more just like most of the time you're just dealing with events that you you see and you don't really operate them on. You don't you don't you never go backwards. You never undo it.
1: Well, so that's the beauty. Of it. Once you you know standardize this and you can put a trace ID on that, you can trace the events, new events as or uh, events uh the observations as they um flow through the system let's you know you make a new observation that trace id can you know go along with all of that so you can see what happens all the way throughout the system you can replay all those just like any you know event driven uh system where you know you have that event store so that that's the same idea with the you know observation driven design. you you're storing all of those observations so you can replay, uh, go back if there's an an issue, uh, you have that. Um, so one one last piece on the data side of it before I get into the flow is when you think about all of the data as an observation, it also lets you think, Of the, all of the data is in the past, right? There's an issue when you, people say data, like this is the current state or the source of truth. Uh, But you really never know, right? If, If you see it in that database, you know, it could change, you know, in a microsecond. And now it's already different from what you saw, right? So every piece of, data is an observation that you made and it is it has a staleness to it um and what once you think of that it really helps think about data in general um this you know from distributed systems to you know machine learning all of that data is a record of what was saw in the past Um, and you should always kind of set that the threshold of staleness for that data you know nothing don't think of any data as this is real time it all is in the past and you should set that uh you know kind of time to live or staleness for it do you need it to be you know within a second then you know maybe you should re-observe that if you don't have the latest or you know when you think about it this way it also helps between like Client server interactions, if you want to do things in real time and you're syncing, all of that data is in the past. Does that have any questions on that?
0: Yeah. So when you say that we and this framework, Tom, who, who are you actually building this framework?
1: A lot of this goes off of like uh, how we previously were together. So we call it the observation framework or O18K. That's where a a lot of this derived from the naming, right? Where we took a lot of the concepts of the loose coupling high alignment and kind of put it together in a framework. Um, but yeah, I don't want to get too much into that, but yeah, staying at that, the higher level, the concepts, the, the data and the flow through the systems where this could apply to any system, not necessarily, you know, adopting the the observation framework. Um, or even the, the specification. Um, so yeah, standardizing the flow of it. So again, this wasn't you know directly from work on the framework. This is for years of doing lots of projects. The flow kind of breaks down to, you want to, even within a system itself, you want to have pieces in there, loosely coupled, highly aligned, mm-hmm. Um, or high cohesion, some people say. And what I found the best way to break those apart within a system are something is observed, something is decided, and something's acted upon. So you have the observers, deciders, and actors. And all of your code, it'd be broken up into those. So with the observe piece of it, It's kind of like your, you know, your endpoint, REST API, GraphQL. It takes in whatever is signal um, request coming in, standardizes it. So whether it's GraphQL, REST, it, it doesn't matter. It comes together and you standardize that record of observation that was made of an external entity. Then, so... This would allow you to have multiple observers for the same observation that is made, right, of an external entity. So you can easily plug in a now GraphQL API because you don't have to worry about changing the format of what it looks like flowing through the system. Whereas a lot of other frameworks um, are just when you develop something in general, you get that tight coupling of, you know, this is what it looked like as a, you know, REST uh, protocol format. Um, And it kind of stays that way throughout your system where this, you know, what I'm talking about is you should standardize what that looks like before it flows into the rest of the system to the deciders and actors um, pieces of your code. Questions on that.
2: About how that, kind of manifest itself in reality.
1: Yeah, and so then that, that brings us to deciders, right? And that is where all of your business logic is. You want to have, what we talked about before is, you know, the, the functional programming. That's why I brought this up. Uh, once you standardize those objects and the, the flow of them, you can make your business logic, you know, pure, pure functions, purely functional. So that's what you'd want to do in this, and these deciders it takes previous observations that it observed the current observation coming in and using this business logic it makes a decision and that decision is passed on to the system to other deciders or actors and and you can standardize so once you if you get into like the framework side of it or you know developing your own specification you can standardize. This is the the flow even through that decider. Uh, you you pull in the the previous observations that you need, and the and any other context that you need. And you can you know log here, do this if it's private information because you're standardizing the data. You know what's private. What is it? You you set that on that envelope for that data flowing through there. So it's just. Um, these different components, observer, decider, actor, know not to store that right in the in your logs, um, or if you want to plug and play, hey, I want a different logger. That flow of when things are logged, how they're logged is is established. So you know you can make those different interchangeable plugin mm-hmm. pieces much much easier uh, to work across that. So the idea is that it's only, you know, if you really standardize that flow, it's only one decision that can be made by those deciders. And if multiple things need to happen, uh, other deciders care about that decision that happened, that observation of a decision, um, which, you know, represents an internal model, right? We talk about external entities, you're making observations on those. Now this data is an observation of an internal model that made. So when I just say decisions, just deciders are observing uh, a change to its internal model. And that's what you're storing. There is no, the concept of it, there is no model that is stored, right? You can store the last observed state of it. And, you know, this is what will help you, right? It, in, you know, leveraging this data for machine learning, for um, schema changes, data migrations uh, down the road,
2: having that format of it. So what What that means are uh, missing context at that moment of time. How do you grab more context to make that business decision?
1: It becomes a... So with, with that decision, or there's another decision either okay so w- within that decider it pulls in that context and the context are previous observations so it's it's yeah pulling in previous observations slash context what it needs and the current observation coming in makes that decision right in a peer function um that's so that's called
2: the database or a vet log like what is the I don't want to get too low level, but I'm just curious how oh, it's pulling it.
1: It can come so it, it can come from anything. But the or idea it, it can get put anywhere. But the idea is that it's owned by that decider. I kind of skipped over this, but the general idea of of this overall is you want to have as much as you can done declaratively on the top and so the this is the schema of my objects the entity internal and external this is the logic that cares about them and this is the flow through that system and you can do all of that declaratively on the top and then you can implement you know what you need Imperatively, such as where is it stored in the database? So you know, at the top, you're saying these I care about this observation and these previous observations and you know slash context, right? You can set all that declaratively under the hood. You, you can implement whatever you want to actually store that, retrieve that data. Um, so does that does that make sense? You wanna you wanna write as much as you can on the top declaratively, and then separate that from what is actually implemented. So those things that are implemented, right? If it's a package plugin module can be leveraged throughout the system and other systems, right? If you, if you make it a, a package, so you can make a, a you know, a, a repository layer, right. Of where you store that, and, you know, and this is borrowed from other, uh, concepts as well, right? Making that repository layer in your code so that you can change the actual data store, you know, what's leveraging it in the future. So, and that, that's kind of that concept. You want to write it where, hey, send it to the re- repository to, to save it, a new observation is made, uh, and this is where I retrieve it. But under the hood, that can be implemented by, you know,
2: whatever data store. I'm trying to think about, like, I'm trying to align it with concepts I already use. Uh, like, is there a controller level? You know, um, where you're, where you're taking in. Uh, like, how does that manifest itself? I guess is it is this is there? And usually, when you, I guess I'm just trying to think about this more low level, um, just to understand how it can be implemented high level. Um, you know, is does this manifest itself in lots of microservices with lots of event systems, and then. You're communicating, you have your repository layer, that's defining all this, and then you get to, that's how you're fetching stuff. So the, the
1: idea is you can, the implementation of it under the hood can be done different ways, right? We've, Mm -hmm. so when we did it as a, as a framework, once you write it declaratively on the top, like this, this. schema flow of it, how it gets implemented. You don't care. So we made it implemented when we did the framework, it could run all on one Lambda function. It okay. could run in a Docker container. It could run each decider, actor, observer can run in its own lambda function. Um, but what if you write that the all you know all the declaratives on the top, you don't really care about what's underneath it, right? We also did for the repository layer of how it grabs it. We did some Dynamo. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, it's mostly mostly Dynamo. Uh, but you could implement you know whatever layer you want to to use. Yeah. Got it. uh, Yeah. Cool. So that brings us to the actors, and that's you know where you interface with external systems. So whether that's you know sending out webhooks or uh, sending the response back um, from a request, or you know if it's GraphQL sending out. you know, if if people are if other systems are subscribed, you know, sending that out, uh, if, you know, if it's GraphQL, um, and this where the the difference is in is that there's no decisions being made. So what happens off the act actor actions is that you can't you shouldn't do anything off of that, right? That's kind of like that
0: the. Barrier that out, um, you know, boundary for it. Are there any questions on that? Just really is just sending the request to its final destination, or it's kind of, it's not really doing any thinking or deciding. It just takes yeah. whatever was decided in the decision and sends the data along to where it needs to go.
2: Yeah. Like an adapter.
1: Yeah, so it it can have it can have some persistent storage, but that's only for maybe like caching or you know, a, something needs to be formatted differently for downstream. Uh, but it really shouldn't have any persistent storage, right? It doesn't care about what has happened previously. Um unless it's you know needed for uh you know that specific downstream that it's communicating with
2: the only one retries and errors and stuff like that with communicating it's stuff. Yeah. Other stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, the only component, right. Is that has persistent storage of observations would be the decider deciders. That's it. (laughs) Just <laughs> no, no, no. I do that and then uh yeah everything's loosely coupled highly aligned and uh you're uh you're off to the races so i mean that's that's at a high mm-hmm. level and i kind of jumped around right because what's what's you know from the the framework you know versus specification that's you know kind of working backwards like as we worked on these things we kind of okay what's the actual specification so it doesn't matter what language you're in what you know what we implemented in specific language what's kind of like that standard. And then, you know, as we did that, there was just kind of like a higher level concept. And that's kind of what I'm presenting here is like what we we're calling observation driven design. And yeah, there's there's a lot more to it, right, under the hood and going in it. But at a high level, mm-hmm. it's formatting that data, right, putting that envelope around it. Um, so that you can standardize the different tools and, and how it interacts with that data, uh, and then also how it flows through the systems.
2: I'm sorry if I'm confused here, but the um, is the what's the what's dealing with the incoming data format? Is that also an actor, or is that an that's the observer? The observer is the one. Is that the one converting, let's say, incoming input and then changing it to the format that you want?
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. So as it changes, you know, you need to have, yeah, another API, you know, a different way of it coming through a new authentication layer that is all handled on that observer. So the downstream doesn't care about it when it gets, you know, changes. Mm -hmm. And this is all done, you know, some people want to say like, oh, well, what if, you know, the request response, so if you're running on a Lambda, right? The request and response has to be done in, in that same running function, which you can do. You can implement that, you know, under the hood. But the idea is you write it declaratively, loosely coupled. So one day if Lambda does allow you to break up that request and response, um, you know, kind of how they do for uh, WebSockets, so you kind of get that ID and you you know, another Lambda function can respond back on that D for web, uh, for web the, if they implement that for the rest API, all you have to do is make a little line change and now you can break that up. Uh, if, as long as you define it declaratively on the top, right? That implementation layer of either plugins or modules, packages, whatever you're doing can implement that differently.
0: So, can you share any real world examples of you implementing this?
1: Yeah. Any, uh, all the projects that I've worked on that were bigger in the past, uh, implementing this for the last few years in some capacity? I mean, I can go over the the project names, but you, you know what I've worked on in the past together. But yeah, these concepts are what, you know, we've, we baked in working with the, uh, the engineers the different teams um in the past yeah, yeah
2: can you give me a, a real world like example of uh what did the system deal yeah yeah
1: yeah let's let's walk through it what what let's say just uh i don't know cash cash register transaction you know it's, it's so a um a, a user pays for something, right? The observer sees that request that comes into the client. Uh, it translates it from a HTTP request to a you know new transaction uh, observation. It observed a the user or whatever you care about in the system. It observed a person, or it observed the. Another system that actually maybe did the transaction third-party system that did the transaction converts that to a model or it converts it to an observation schema that it cares about that kind of represents that external entity of a new transaction. And then that flows the decider that cares about it. Hey, a new one came in. You know, you write declaratively on the top, if a new transaction comes in, this decider cares about it. It decides that uh, it is valid. It's, you know, maybe checks against previous transactions, checks to see if there's um, enough inventory, right? You're selling something Mm -hmm. that pulls previous observations. It decides, yes, this is good to go. I observe a new internal model right that decider observes and sends out and maybe downstream things care about it if the the transaction is good then you know send a receipt to that user right that that if there's logic involved it could be another decider that handles that do they have do they want to give receipts do they have an email on file another decider decides that makes the decision, you know, they need to have a receipt uh, sent to them by. And then that, in turn, an actor would look at and see and and say, okay, email them the receipt or send it in a push notification or, you know, call this other downstream service that stores receipts for them. So it's kind of like the event-driven model. Right, um, You know, flowing through that system. It's just a bit more prescriptive of, you know, not just events just flowing through the system, standardizing those mm-hmm. those groups of observer, deciders, and actors, keeping that business logic only inside the decider so that you can change how, how things are sent, how things come in uh, very easily without... You know, disrupting the downstream is taking that, you know, event driven model for <clears throat> external systems working in each other and putting it, you know,
2: internally. So that's can designers be um, asynchronous? That's the thing. Declaratively, on the top, everything's
1: asynchronous, everything, you know, is assumed it happens instantly and asynchronous, or it could take a long time. You you don't know. That also allows you to automatically build in support for race conditions. Right? Uh, declaratively, it's all asynchronous. So you have to implement handling those race conditions in, in the implementation. You don't necessarily have to do it yourself. If there's, you know, you can build those modules, those packages that handle that for you. And then on the top, you know any any systems that you do, you can reuse those because it's assumed that it's asynchronous. So if you if it isn't asynchronous or it needs to blow in a certain standard, you can you know use that implementation under the hood to to handle that. Does that does that make sense? Kind of answer your question. So yes, could it could be synchronous, but you want to develop it, you want to write it at the top layer declaratively you assume it's always asynchronous and that kind of forces you to support it being asynchronous.
0: For this paradigm for you, are you trying to, you know, formalize this paradigm and publish it? Or
1: Yeah, I've been, you know, working on this, tra- putting it together, kind of talked about it with a few people. This is the first time I've formally made it like public, public you know, talked to a few people uh, and then just the teams that I've worked with. So yeah, I do do want to you know, keep working on this and, and talking about it, you know, does this make sense to every engineer that I talk about? Does this fit in what you work on, right? Is, you know, I want to expose myself at all the projects that I've worked on. I think about this framework. How does it fit in there? Do, does it work? And, you know, where I is per on sort the of framework, um, does it fit? And you know what, what? I've come up with, everything that I've done so far, it fits and it works with. Right? I don't want to say it's like panacea for all of it, but it, it does fit. So yeah, if if you are interested, you know, I'd love to to work with whoever and, and kind of formalizing it and making it a, you know cleaner. Because yeah, it's just a lot of a lot of notes. And yeah, I'm trying to formalize it. So yeah, if anybody you know, if it intrigues you and yeah, you want to want to know more, um, reach out to me.
0: Yeah, I think there's uh, maybe an opportunity for uh, an open source repo where you kind of, you know, one day get it all kind of formalized and defined and it's like out there for the public to consume, right? And and people to contribute on. So, and yeah, if you want to talk more about it in a future episode, if you have more of it fleshed out or want to dive into other areas of it, we'd be happy to uh, have the conversation, so.
1: Yeah, I just want to recap real quick right the so the idea is to treat all of your data as an observed record in the past right it you should set all all of your data you should think what is the staleness what do i care about like how old it is um the other thing is you should set that standard right for envelope to wrap all of your all of the data throughout the system you know that the timestamp when it was observed by a system, that a trace ID, uh, and, and again, like I, I've worked on, you know, what that trace ID looks like. So yeah, if you want to talk further from the specification and what we use implementing frameworks past, uh, but you at least need to have a, a, a trace ID that that flows through there. Uh, the idea of making it loosely coupled, highly aligned, right? That declarative, right? as declarative as much as you can and your business logic in pure functions so the schema the flow of the data you know who cares about it that business logic that you should try to write that you know as declarative as possible yeah and then breaking up your your code between observer and what comes in transforming that the deciders the business logic keeping that those together and then the actor what's working you know, downstream interacting with uh, other external systems.
0: Good recap. All right. Well, Uh, I want to take this opportunity to thank all of our listeners for tuning in today. Uh, We hope you found the conversation informative and valuable. Love to have you again. Uh, Join us for our next episode where we're going to be uh, going into task estimation and measuring engineering productivity. Uh, So be sure to tune in next week when we dive into that topic excited to talk about it and uh, hope everyone has a great rest of their week. Take care.